Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Okay, uh, Ellie, welcome to the show. Hi, it's uh, fantastic to be here, especially considering I'm like of no note whatsoever. <laughs> well, I mean, you you hit me up like a year ago or something and was like, if you ever want to talk about Zelda. And I was like, I always want to talk about Zelda, but I don't always have a reason to talk about Zelda. But now we have a reason. So we're going to talk about Zelda. <laughs> oh boy, do we have a reason. <laughs> um, but before we like get super into that, I do just want to like talk to you a little bit, let people know who you are. So you're a writer um, and a journalist, and you've worked in music journalism and now are kind of just doing general cultural critique. Is that a good summary? Yeah, yeah. Uh, cultural criticism and uh, also just kind of like personal oriented journalism. Um, basically, I was doing like really focused um, kind of like musical and cultural analysis, like with, with like an actual goal in mind. And then I just decided I'd rather, you know, I have like these people who are, you know, paying me on Patreon to read my thoughts and I don't want to just talk about like these things that I'm not necessarily always passionate about. I'd rather just kind of like follow whatever I'm into at the moment. So I, I'll write about horror movies. I'll write about video games. I'll write about comic books um, and just sort of hope that uh, the people who like my writing will follow me where my muse takes me hmm sounds very familiar that's like the exact same arc i've had with this show yeah <laughs> it's like it went from like we need to play a ps1 horror game every week to like yeah i, I don't know man like whatever <laughs> but i think that's the key honestly to like maintaining any sort of like passion for it you know over a long period of time is like yeah, it's just going to be what I care about right now, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, and you you can, if you would like to, you can now look in the camera too and tell people where this Patreon is um, so they can follow you. Um, yeah, so uh, it's uh, patreon.com slash x, you don't need maps x. Um, I'm not straight edge. I just uh, thought it would be funny to have x's on either side of it. Yeah, for um, sure. Or if it's easier, you can just find me on Instagram. Just you don't need maps. Um, super simple. Cool. Well, yeah, and, and we we just spent a while talking about this, but you're deep into heavy music, hardcore, yes. punk music. Yeah. So that's something we share and that almost everyone who's appeared on the show shares, you know? Like, yes. 
it's mostly musicians or people very, you know, in the music scene or connected to it somehow. So, um, when I first started listening, I had like no idea either. And then like, I got more into the back catalog and started hearing like all these references to like fucking Boris or whatever. Uh-huh. And I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, and then there was like another episode. I think it was like actually kind of recent, uh, that you were talking about, um, undying like you like dropped in a clip of undying and i was like holy shit okay this is like (laughs) fully fully also secretly a music podcast but not really oh a hundred percent it is and like uh it was funny when i when i like rebranded this whole shit as like uh the zero brightness network and not just zero brightness i put like music in the header and it was funny because i did that kind of like without thinking and then later was like well i never really do podcasts about music like sometimes on the patreon but not really on the main channel but then i was like but they're all about music and most of the people on here are musicians or at least music people and yeah, the Dark Souls episode where I dropped in really tiny clips of all these like metal bands, I was I was really really proud of, and then just seeing if anyone could like catch them all. Um, I think people mostly caught them, but some of them were like really short, and you kind of have to be like super brain broken to like actually catch it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we love it. We love it. Um, yeah, I gotta go back to this. And yeah, I fucking love like the Deftones episodes in particular on the Patreon. They're super fun. Yeah, those, um, those are super fun. I kind of, I, I had to take a break from that because I got so pissed at that band for being like dumbasses. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I still, I don't know. I've had had the thought of just going and doing like one episode to summarize like everything they did after Diamond Eyes, which like I think was probably fine. But I have to run that by Justin. <laughs> um and that's actually like an interesting segue because i think uh when i first like wrote in like a while ago um i i was asking about horror adjacent games and you were kind of talking about how one thing that kind of unites a lot of those games including uh topic of the day zelda was this sort of like uh approach to like ambient noise music Mm -hmm. um that kind of like permeates the uh the atmosphere of all those games yeah for sure well here let's get to like this the the thesis statement of this episode i guess because like this was originally something i was going to do alone like it's been on the you know notes app list of topics for like four years or some shit like it predates the show was like (laughs) zelda games are horror games and i firmly believe that and I know that's not a statement that everyone will agree with. And it's also not one that's like fully applicable to each and every game in the series. But like the series as a whole, The Legend of Zelda has such a strong horror component, not just an influence, but like an actual component that to me, to my mind, it's kind of impossible to say that it's not related to horror or that it's not a topic that uh you know should be discussed on like a show about horror or horror video games and yeah you're 100 percent correct that like a big part of that is the atmosphere of these games which is really really reinforced a lot by the music um in these games which i did a whole patreon episode about and i'm very passionate about but like the music in zelda games is just like so fucking good like 
Yes. Across the board, <laughs> across many entries in the series and many styles, the one thing that unites it is it's always just like the sickest shit ever. <laughs> yes. I mean, I want to talk a little bit before we kind of get into talking about specific games and talking about, you know, what makes these games, you know, feel like horror to me. I want to talk a little bit about kind of like the genre and the era and the time that birthed this whole series. Cause I think that's also an important piece of context. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people listening to the show who are either around my age or younger, especially if you're younger, might not have like the full context of the Zelda series and like the time that birthed the Zelda series. And I think that's actually really important to understanding its connection to horror. Because to me, The Legend of Zelda is a dark fantasy series. And it came out at a time which was like the mid to late 80s when dark fantasy was like a huge deal and it was kind of the dominant force in fantasy at least in terms of like mainstream culture and going going in this episode i was actually trying to look up like well what exactly or what do other people consider dark fantasy because i have my own definition but it's hard to actually find what people consider dark fantasy it seems like the definition is literally just like it's fantasy but it's dark yeah (laughs) Um, it's uh, yeah. it's it's fantasy, but you know, with like a a, a filter on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I did find a few interesting things. Like, I think that obviously there being horror elements in terms of the presentation and aesthetics is a big one. Um, there being like the presence of kind of like dark magic is a big one. I found an interesting definition that was talking about like the presence of other worlds. Uh, which I thought was really, really relevant to Zelda. Cause I, yes. you know, like, yeah, I think that's when Zelda really got into its horror bag was with um, Link to the Past, where they introduced the idea of there being an other world. Yeah. Yeah. The sort of, and I mean, I don't know if we're, <laughs> we're not going to be doing like the Zelda masterclass or anything here, but there's lots of stuff involving like Jungian psychology or whatever that you could totally get into with like the the parallel universes. Yeah, for sure. Um, But it's really interesting how some people basically just consider it like, oh, it's like dark fantasy if there's like sort of a shadow world or an other world that characters enter or come out, you know, from to go into another place. And it's like, oh shit, that's like, most of this series basically if not yeah every game in this series is like you know contains that i'm trying to think of like one game in the series that doesn't have like at least some element of that and the only thing i can come up with is like the original game well the original game you come up from a cave right isn't it like breath of the wild yeah i guess i guess that's true you come up you come up from a cave yeah um I guess I was just thinking about that sort of like extra dimensional element. Right. Yeah. That's like the one that doesn't have that. Cause even like Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time, you just wake up in bed, but then there's like a hideous other world. <laughs> it's like, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And. Breath of the Wild and Link's Awakening both have like eldritch abominations as their primary villain. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think interesting piece of context here is to look at that kind of late '80s dark fantasy 
environment that the series came out from. Cause that was the thing for me is like, I was a baby then, but like, as I got older and could like make memories and choose media, I became really attached to that time period, mostly like because of my older sisters. Um, and they really liked a lot of that stuff. And we really liked horror and we really liked being scared in media. So like any piece of media that scared one of us, kind of became like its own legendary little thing where it's like, Oh, do you remember how you were so scared of like that Smurfs Coleco game? Cause of the music in the cave. And it was like, yeah, that's so scary, you know? <laughs> um, and so I think there's a bunch of like late eighties stuff that I personally think of as like dark fantasy that kind of helps explain the tone of like the Zelda series. So a big one is legend. It's a 1985 Ridley Scott film. Are you familiar with this movie? uh yeah with tim curry um yep. playing the devil yeah or a version of the devil correct yes uh yeah legend rocks uh <laughs> it's like fantasy adventure movie it has tom cruise but it also has tim curry as the fucking devil like satan um <laughs> which is so rad which is so and, rad <laughs> and it's only the second most diabolical role that tim curry had in 1985 after the butler and clue oh for sure <laughs> <laughs> big time um but i i think what's so what's so crazy about this movie is that basically somebody started a rumor that this movie influenced the legend of zelda series and it stuck just because of all the parallels between Zelda and the movie legend. But I think the big one is like that tonal shift. Like they're both works that go from kind of standard sword and sorcery, you know, hero rescues a princess to like, I'm talking to the devil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have these like really sudden shifts into like super dark, super horrific moments. Um, and that's something I think is kind of underrated about the original Legend of Zelda. Once again, like I played this when I was a little kid. And so I remember like going into dungeons and being like, this music is creepy. Like, this is scary. The colors being washed out in gray. Like, this is scary. The fact that there's like a hard boss at the end is like tense and scary. Yes. With those original NES games that do lean more into, into horror, um, with like kind of the lack of extra options that they would have as technology advanced uh that they relied a lot on like atmosphere and sheer difficulty to create that like tension and fear mm -hmm. um castlevania and the original metroid for sure but like zelda is a really good example of it yeah i think that zelda like the first two zelda games have just a lot of negative space and a lot mm. of atmospheric moments even when compared to other like similar games um, yeah, they just have a vibe and even like Zelda two with all of the like really creepy imagery and like really dark dungeons and difficult enemies. I mean, like there's just something about it. There, there's a vibe that is very horror to my mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we want to keep talking about sort of this like dark fantasy atmosphere that mm -hmm. played into, um, Zelda and sort of like why like the the cultural moment that helped it strike the court that it did I mean 
this was that was kind of i'm only 26 so i'm speaking from like a retrospective view right but that was like an era of fantasy where like the fan even like the fantasy that was aimed towards children seemed to have sort of this uh underlying desire to teach kids about these like difficult themes of like grief and trauma and loss and use like really horrific uh imagery and elements to do so like even like the dark crystal mm-hmm. um or labyrinth or the never-ending story fuck the last unicorn is like a horrifying existential nightmare of a movie that um, is like the number one <laughs> bullet point on my list of this kind of shit is like yeah le- well legend is number one because of that rumor that it was eventually dispelled but number two is fucking the last unicorn dude like it's a really good example those were um, all of my Everything you just listed, those were literally all my favorite movies as a kid. Like, if La- and Willow, fucking Willow, and Willow, <laughs> yeah, okay, you, you fucking get it. Like, those were my favorite movies as a kid, and they all, yes, they all share the dark fantasy vibe, the low fantasy aesthetic, which I guess is another thing we can touch on at some point. Um, but right, and yeah, they have these themes of like trauma of difficulty um they're they're just very much within the wheelhouse of horror the only thing that's different is that they have this fantasy setting yeah and i think the never-ending story in particular has kind of like this really interesting parallel with zelda because it's partially about like arrested development and this kind of like grief causing this inability to mature Mm -hmm. um and it also kind of has this environmental angle to it um and it also has uh the relationship with artax which i think sort of presages uh a lot of the relationship that link would have with his like partner characters and epona and you can sort of trace that down to shadow of the Colossus and the last guardian as well. Right. For sure. I, I agree a hundred percent. And it's really interesting to see how like Zelda is a series that definitely draws a lot from these other media works and it bounces back and forth with a lot of different popular fantasy and dark fantasy, you know, works and series so yeah like you can see them pulling from all these different like movies and and books and things to make something unique and then other people being influenced like shadow of the colossus and then them pulling a ton of influence from shadow of the colossus or like them inspiring yeah. from soft and then now they're pulling a bunch of influence from some from from soft and like yeah that's kind of one of the one of my favorite things about the zelda series is that it feels very reactive and it feels like they're creating things that are really like genre and era defining. And then they're also open to interacting with the things that they inspire. Yeah. Um, and I think real quick, uh, before we explore that, I think two of like the most important ones, um, that I just remembered, uh, are going to be like, obviously Lord of the Rings, which I think is kind of like, uh, it's one of those things where like the influence is impossible to deny on anything fantasy, but like particularly dark fantasy. Yeah. For um, sure. Like, especially like enemies in later Zelda games feel like super Lord of the Rings inspired, but um, also uh, Nausicaa, the Valley of the wind, mm. I think actually was like cited 
as an influence. Sure. Um, um, and you can sort of, you, you can see it in that, uh, like the whimsy shot through with these sort of like horrific, uh, nightmarish like creatures and themes, like surrounded by what would otherwise be like a really, uh, carefree, almost beautiful sort of story. So that balance of like the grotesque and the sublime, uh, which I think is really imperative to a lot of Zelda titles um, is like there from that influence from the get-go. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's kind of like, yeah, to me, I guess that's kind of a good definition of the type of dark fantasy that Zelda goes for is like, it's still whimsical and fun. There's always this kind of like childlike sense of wonder, you know, infused Mm -hmm. with it, but it's also really fucked up and dark. (laughs) Um, There's really horrible, yeah, eldritch abominations. I think you put it perfectly. Yeah, the the main antagonist is frequently like a fucking lich or some shit. And it's just like, (laughs) okay, that's fucking really out of pocket. Uh, But yeah, it's always like that mix of the two. And then, you know, just to quickly bring up low fantasy, I guess like low fantasy is something that, is important also to a series and you know basically low fantasy is like another subgenre that's sort of ill-defined but it generally refers to works that have kind of like a grimy realistic feel to certain aspects of it so once again still a fantasy setting but there's generally like there's more violence there's more focus on like the mechanics of how things actually happen and also just that kind of grimy dirty lived-in aesthetic um, yeah, I think like those works are really important to how you get to something like Zelda, you know, out of all these different things. But yeah, you know, I recently rewatched, it's funny you bring up Nasuka, which is like a Hayao Miyazaki work. And I recently rewatched Spirited Away and it was kind of like, yeah, which is just such a fucking good movie. I haven't watched it in years and I forgot how good it is. Um, And it's so interesting, the parallels between that and something like Zelda, where it's like, yeah, it is on the one hand, this kind of like beautiful adventure tale, but you're also lost and alone and everything's really fucked up and scary. And it's like, yeah, Yeah. I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. And no face is kind of like this, like unknowable nightmare of a villain. um, Right. Who is (laughs) kind of like conquered by the power of friendship though. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's like super, that's super interesting. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, when you look at a lot of this shit, you see how, like, Zelda is really pulling from a lot of these different ideas and works. And, like, even to go back to, like, the kind of 80s kids movies that uh, you sort of rattled off a few minutes ago, I mean, those all have so many similarities with Zelda. Like, yeah, you've got Never Ending Story, which is like, you know, kid pulled into a fantasy world and finds that it's a lot more dark and dangerous than expected and goes on this whole odyssey. You know, you've got The Last Unicorn, which is just, yeah, I don't even know where to start with that movie. Like, that was like one of my favorite movies as a kid. I fucking love it so much. But like, that is the creepiest, darkest, fantasy world that I've seen in anything outside of like the most like grimdark shit ever. It's basically just like a hopeless destroyed fantasy world that they set this like vague, I guess technically kids movie in. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I mean, it traumatized a lot of people. I'll say that much. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, I think like something like 
Watership Down or The Secret of Nim is like more famously like traumatizing. Mm-hmm. But The Last Unicorn is just like really sad. Yeah. Like there's there's this part near the end where, you know, I, she she's like, why couldn't you have been that for me? Like before like when i was a when i was a child right and it just it just is like so brutal um yeah and it kind of takes like the emotional like the wind out of your emotional sails like the the last unicorn is like a really sobering watch like yeah. as an adult and it holds up i think way better than um something like like something like watership down that feels more consciously like an attempt to be um violent and shocking not that i dislike watership down it's perfectly fine but i think that the last unicorn because it's like more subtle has like more of a (laughs) of an unnerving sense of dread to it and more effectiveness definitely definitely and i think that once again that was like such a thing at this time was like these sort of fantasy works that had the sense of whimsy and then the further you delve into it it's like god this is so fucked like what the fuck is this i mean another one i have on my list which is sort of relevant but mostly just for people's perception of it was conan the barbarian i mean oh yeah 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 because that's like the quintessential sword and sorcery thing yes um huge influence on zelda i mean so much so that when they put out the first trailer for um uh twilight princess like they used the Conan, the barbarian like orchestral theme in the trailer. And everyone was like, holy shit, you know? Um, but yeah, like that's a thing that was like, it's sword and sorcery. It's fantasy. Like you would let kids watch it. And then it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is yeah. this? You know, like, <laughs> like very fucked up, like very fucked up shit. Like, like the barbarians in this movie are like realistic barbarians. Like, they do the things that they did in real life, but it's like a fantasy setting. And it's like, damn, that sucks. <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Or you have my parents who like watched the shit when they were kids and they were like, Hey, you're like nine years old. You should watch this. It's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a thing you can also do. Um, yeah. Legally, I think. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was just such a vibe at that time. And like, you know, just to bring up a couple more um, to kind of close out this little segment of of the show. Uh, there's a couple other things I think kind of have the same vibe. One is a movie that I only got really obsessed with like a few years ago, but I'm super obsessed with it. It's called Angel's Egg. Um, have you seen this movie? Um, I have not seen it. I know of it. I know it, it, the plot is like super elliptical. It's mostly based on sort of like imagery and like the power of its animation i have not seen it but like i i feel like i'm aware of its reputation i've been wanting to watch it for a long yeah. time so it's on youtube uh you can watch it on youtube uh you should watch it it's fucking awesome so angel's egg is an anime movie it's from 1985 uh it was like created directed you know everything kind of with a heavy hand by two people one is Mamoru Oshii who directed Ghost in the Shell famously as well as like a bunch of other really famous anime shit and then the other is uh, Yoshitaka Amano who's most famous as the character designer for a lot of the Final Fantasy games um, as well as once again a bunch of like very important epochal like anime releases And they came together to make this original movie. It has no dialogue. It's just purely visual, insanely gorgeous. But 
it's a similar thing like this. It's a weird, destroyed, hellish sci-fi fantasy world that's being explored mm-hmm. by this kind of like angelic, um, like young girl character. And it's just like you just go through this world and you see all this crazy shit. And it's it's so cool. It's got such an insane vibe and it's so fucking good. And I definitely think it fits in this conversation. It feels like the sort of thing I would have seen on like public access late night when I lived in Texas, but like I didn't. Um, <laughs> it's just like, it's a very cool movie. Um, but yeah, once again, it's that contrast between like this sort of whimsical fantasy shit and this like super dark real world shit. Um, the other two couple things I just wanted to rattle off quick and mention were a couple of comics I read as a kid that I think once again just gave me a similar vibe. Um, one is ElfQuest, which is a comic that I feel like nobody remembers or knows about, but uh, ElfQuest was basically a comic about this group of elves who were living in this weird, destroyed, embryonic version of Earth and trying to like survive the complete destruction of their homeland. Uh, super dark super weird and really good uh the other one was bone which i think a lot oh my god a lot more people remember bone yeah yeah i think a lot of people remember bone bone rocks and i think bone is actually underrated as like a work of dark fantasy um oh totally you know by the way i don't i don't think i read elf quest but that sounded super familiar and i looked it up and i was like oh yeah i definitely saw this at like book fairs yeah Um, it was kind of a big deal like in the eighties. And then it just like disappeared. And like, I've, I haven't read the whole thing or anything. We just had a handful of volumes when I was a kid that I think like my oldest sister bought from a bookstore or something at some point. And I was like, man, this is cool and really weird and dark. Yeah. It looks, it looks super rad, but yeah, bone is, uh, yeah. When did bone debut? Uh, um, 1991, 91. That's I, I, pre- I was pretty sure it was nineties. Cause like, yeah, bone, um, I think is kind of like the like I feel like Bones' evil twin is Cerebus. Sure, um, yeah. In terms of comics, uh, but yeah, Bone is really underrated as a as a dark fantasy and as a work that um, its art style belies its maturity, like in like as as like a story. I think for sure. And I think like the things that all of these works, cause we just, we just rattled off a whole bunch of shit. And like some of y'all are going to have to like really get to Googling to keep up. Um, yeah. I'm also, I'm going to throw out Redwall too. Oh, for, for the nerds in the back. Big time <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Redwall comes up a lot in our house. Cause like I read him obsessively as a kid. Uh, and more recently we've been talking about like how to keep, we have like a lot of rabbits and squirrels where we live. We're trying to keep like how to keep them out of our garden. And we always joke that like we're trying to keep them from having red wall in our garden where they're just like <laughs> eating scones and kicking back. And then it's like, oh, I have no like vegetables this year. Yeah. Um, Fuck, dude. Red wall is so rad. Yeah. And another one of those things where like it's super traumatizing and your parents probably didn't know like what you were reading. Um I think my generation that was like Animorphs, which I would also totally love to talk about at some point. Cause that yeah. series is like horrific, just like so yeah. fucking dark. <laughs> there was like something online. I don't remember what platform it was on. I, maybe it was Twitter, but like somebody made like a whole like giant compilation of like all the most fucked up things that happen in every Animorph book. And I was reading yeah. it and I was like, 
what in God's name is this? Cause like I read a couple of those books when I was a kid, I didn't get into it really. So I was just like, I don't know. They turn into animals, but then like reading that shit, I was like, what <laughs> dude, they're the child fuck? soldiers yeah. and fucking war criminals. Yeah. Um, I was reading that and I was like, this isn't even, like, I'd probably pick more fucked up things from these books than this one. <laughs> yeah. Like, it gets and it gets really i think like psychologically complex and ethically complex and the whole fucking series ended with like the author uh being like so you didn't like how this war turned out you didn't like how this character is dead and this other character is irreparably broken because of the decisions that they made well just remember that you're all going to be coming like voting age soon and make sure to keep this in mind when you step into those those booths wow. and then that was published in that that like open letter was published in fucking june 2001 holy shit that's crazy i didn't know that i'd i'd fucking do a whole ass fucking animorphs podcast that <laughs> sorry that 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 series is super important to me that's wild yeah i didn't really know like any of this animorphs lore like i said i only got a taste recently and i was like damn this shit is fucking wild but you you can very easily download the entire series for free and they take like 45 minutes a piece to read like at most you're a fast reader. You could probably get through them. Like yeah, I might, I might do. I'm in, I'm in marking, marking myself as interested. Um, <laughs> a little star. Yeah. For real interested though. Not fake interested. Um, yeah, it's just, there was definitely an era. Like I feel like nowadays with kids stuff, let me put on my like old head guys here nowadays um, with kids stuff. I feel like, the sort of like elements of it that are aimed at adults or that are, are more dark are like a little more self-conscious I feel where they're like mm -hmm. trying to self-consciously make something that has like adult themes or that would appeal to adults or whatever but I feel like in the 80s and 90s it was a lot more like honest just in terms of like I'm just making this thing there's fucked up shit in it like whatever you kids will be fine yeah and I'm not saying one's better than the other but it is just like a very different feel you know absolutely there's a couple exceptions i think like gravity falls is yes. like way more organically like in that the lane of the stuff we were talking about earlier 100 but yeah for the most part i do think it's like sort of this like self-conscious effort to uh call back to that era without actually like understanding what made that era like so organically interesting mm-hmm yeah, for sure. No, Gravity Falls, 100%. I was actually, my my niece and nephew, they're like teenagers now, but we were just like remembering the other day, um, this like one summer where we watched them a bunch and they were like really young still. Um, I don't remember exactly what yeah. age they were, but um, they were really young. And I remember like that was the, the summer where I was like, hey, I'm watching all this stuff right now that I think you guys would like. So I showed them like Gravity Falls and Adventure Time and steven yeah. universe and they really liked all that stuff and i think yeah thinking about it now in the context of this conversation i think the reason that i liked all that stuff was because it reminded me, me more of this kind of art where yeah those sort of real world slash adult themes are actually brought into it in a really organic way and in a way that it still feels appropriate for kids because like 
I watched so much fucked up shit because I was like not really like supervised by an adult at all my whole life uh, that like when I was put around children as an adult, I got like very protective about that kind of shit. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah. Oh, or like I was like when they were really young, like overprotective about that stuff. But then like with those, all those shows I just listed, I felt no trepidation. I was like, yeah, you guys can watch this for sure. And like, yeah, because yeah, it, it like is like the Don Bluth rule where like you can like show kids like these really horrendous things. But as long as like the overriding message is one of positivity, they can usually handle it. Yeah, um, for sure. I would even go as far to say that like if there's like some kind of like substantive message to it. Yeah. Then it's yeah. like okay you know and i mean like when i look back as a kid like i guess like when i say like the last unicorn is traumatic i'm joking but like i i think like that's really different than like you know me watching like super fucked up gory horror movies like yeah that was inappropriate <laughs> that was yeah. like hmm where were where was anyone nope gone not there all right tight <laughs> Yeah, like, my parents definitely should not have been like, let me watch fucking Audition or whatever. Uh, yeah! Wow! Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or Imprint. I, th- I I think Imprint was the one that I actually watched when I was, like, way too young. Damn. Uh, the Masters of Horror episode. Yeah. Um, That's bad. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. Adventure Time is such a good shout. I always think of Adventure Time as, like, Adventure Time is like made by people who grew up on Zelda and has that Zelda energy. Yes. And then regular show is about people who grew up on Zelda. Definitely. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, for sure. That's a really good way to put it. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about Zelda now. I feel like we've we've talked about <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Is that what this episode's about? <laughs> Allegedly, you know. Um like I say, every episode is actually just about the people talking. Um, so, you know, is what it is. Uh, but yeah, so a new Zelda game just came out. Uh, everyone is is hyped for it. Uh, I'm, I'm relentlessly addicted to it. Uh, you know, I was joking earlier that every night I just like take a little bit of a weed and go to Hyrule spelled h i g h uh and it's fucking awesome uh yeah i guess like i don't, I don't think i'm ever gonna do like a review of of you know tears of the kingdom but i will say that like i think it's fucking rad and i was trying to sell my friend on it the other day and i said uh well it's josh who appeared in the kojima episodes oh okay yeah yeah we were hanging out and i was like he was like i don't know if i'm gonna get it yet and i was like well Think about it this way, since you're a Metal Gear guy. You know how Metal Gear Solid 4, Metal, or it's like the relationship between Metal Gear Solid 4 and 5, where they took the same kind of general concept and just blew it up into this crazy sandbox thing. That's the relationship between Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild. So like to an outsider, they don't look that different, but the mechanics of it are like wildly different. And it's this just totally insane, like galaxy brain version of fucking you know, a Zelda game and specifically like a breath of the wild cell Zelda game. And, um, yeah, it rocks. It's awesome. What are you going to fucking do? You know, like it rules, but (laughs) what I wanted to talk about today on the show, uh, and you know, like I mentioned, it's been something I want to talk about for like years now are the horror elements in Zelda games. And 
kind of how it developed throughout the series. And so we kind of already spoke about it earlier. Um, we were kind of talking about the first two Zelda games and how they used atmosphere and, and sound design to kind of create this like creepy vibe and how they were born from this era where there was a lot of dark fantasy that was sort of mining a similar vein and they just kind of made this really awesome like video game version of it. But I do want to go a little bit forward in time and I want to talk about where I think this shit really pops off and that is Link to the Past because... Mm-hmm. Link to the Past to me is really where a lot of the horror, overt horror elements that we associate with the Zelda series debut, right? So I think you said it earlier when we were recording where it's like the villain is like this eldritch abomination. Uh, yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> um, you know, the enemies you fight tend towards being like darker, weirder creepier. Like we're out of the NES era where everything is kind of just a blob. And now it's like, Oh, like this shit's creepy. Like I don't have to use my imagination anymore. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a fucking nerd. I don't have to think like that shit just looks creepy. Uh, but I think the biggest one really is like the world itself and link to the past introduced what I think is the most important horror element in any Zelda game, which is a dark destroyed other world. And that's something that will recur in almost every game that follows it in the series. And so specifically in that game, you basically play, you know, the first chunk of the game and then the game flips on its head and says, oh, there's a shadow world you can go to. Mm -hmm. Uh, The shadow world is the same size as the normal world, but everything is just dark and creepy and fucked up. It's like it's once again, it's a destroyed world. And that's something that I talked about in an earlier episode about Japanese horror. I think it's the Ghostwire episode. Um, it's a really important concept in Japanese horror as well as Japanese dark fantasy. Like that's a central concept to Berserk. That's a central concept to Dark Souls and all the Soulsborne games. And I talked a little bit about how I think it's a bit rooted in like Japanese history um, as someone who has like no right to talk about that. Uh, but I just sort of like did it anyway. Um, but I think that like, it's really interesting how central that concept is to Zelda as well. Um, yeah. Especially all the most horror focused Zeldas. Yeah. And I think it's super interesting that we kind of pivoted to link to the past from tears of the kingdom after talking about like the quantum leap um between breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom i think the parallels between the quantum leap between the original zelda and link to the past are like right there yeah because it's very similar but just blown up in massive scale and also introduces that like underworld um slash other world and i think the thing about the dark the dark world light world mechanic that um I think uh, makes it like even more inextricable from Link to the Past than it is in other games in uh, the Zelda series is that like you need both worlds in order to progress through either one, like in order to solve puzzles, like you need to go back and forth between them. Um, Yeah, it's a it's also just like a masterpiece and uh low-key like a fucking revenge thriller thriller like yeah. Link to the past is secretly kill bill <laughs> yeah for sure i mean i think that was my first impression of link to the past the first time that i played it 
Um, because funny enough, it took me a long time to play Link to the Past because my family didn't have a Super Nintendo. We had a Sega Genesis. Um, mm. And so like I would go to my friend's house and play Super Nintendo games. And there are a few like very long Super Nintendo games that I played all the way through. But those were like more like hardcore RPGs, like Final Fantasy three we called it back then and uh, <laughs> back in my day we called it final fantasy three i'm just like old head today i'm like old head pilled today i'm just like yeah uh, when i was a kid it was all different um but it literally was which is just like wow time huh but um i, I played like you know chrono trigger was the big one I, I remember my friend bobby i'd go to my friend bobby's house and we play chrono trigger like all the fucking time um and so Link to the Past, for some reason, like none of my friends were super into Zelda, but like the first two Zelda games I was obsessed with as a kid. And I was like, the original Zelda was my favorite game, like for a long time. And right. when I finally sat down to play Link to the Past, I think I had maybe already played Ocarina of Time, um, which we'll talk about. That's like a big turning point in the series. But I remember going back to Link to the Past and being like, damn, in some ways, this is kind of like darker than Ocarina mm -hmm. of Time. Yeah, because of what you're saying, it's like there's this revenge aspect. The Shadow World is really creepy. Um, you know, the enemies, like the main antagonist game is really creepy. There's something just weird and uncanny. Even just like the opening of the game where it's like this dark and stormy night and you go to this gothic castle. It's like... Yes, dude, the opening is like so like gothic. Yeah. Um, it feels super reminiscent of like the also the super nintendo castlevania game like it has uh -huh. that exact same atmosphere at the beginning big time and i think the, like the, the intro of any zelda game is really important um zelda games they're not all the same some of them have really strong punchy intros some of them take a while to get going but the intro always sets the tone for the game um and i think that and link to the past just like throws you right in uh-huh <laughs> and it's dark and it's weird and it's fucked up and so I've always really appreciated that about that game. But the other world too is something that I think has only grown in importance over time. I mean, I think like once like Silent Hill came out and, you know, kind of established that as like a really central trope to just horror gaming, it was really interesting mm -hmm. to go back and see that like, oh, Zelda has been really mining that for a long time. It's actually been a really important part of the series for a very a very long time you know link to the past is just so good i'm sorry i'm just like still thinking about how good link to the past is it's really <laughs> fucking good i mean once again it took me so long to play it that i was kind of shocked and i was shocked by how much i liked it and i was like damn and so that's one of the ones that i haven't played like a the like i haven't replayed as much as other entries into the series but every time i do i'm just like shocked at how fucking good it is and it holds up like whether you're playing it on Super Nintendo or whether you're playing it on like the Game Boy Advance, mm -hmm. like it feels equally at home, like console or portable. Definitely. Um, which I think is really impressive for a game that was made when like that was not possible for a game to be both. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and good segue. Speaking of portable, I want to touch briefly on Link's Awakening. Um, Ah. So Link's Awakening, I've said over and over, is my favorite Zelda game. It has been since I play it for the first time. I fucking love it. And the reason I want to talk about Link's Awakening briefly is that I think it is actually one of the less horror-infused entries in the series. Like, it has just a much lighter, goofier tone in a lot of ways. But what I think is so interesting about Link's Awakening is that it is famously 
heavily influenced by Twin Peaks, which was a show that vacillated wildly between, you know, comedy, slice of life, and deep, dark horror, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it also was recently revealed by Mark Frost, one of the writers and co-creators of Twin Peaks. That, I believe it was Mark Frost, yeah. Yeah, that he consulted on the game. Like, these... Which is so rad. These fucking <laughs> mad motherfuckers actually, like got mark frost in the group chat and we're like hey man what's up uh and i guess it was in a tweet where he said i actually consoles on this did anyone play it which is like also just <laughs> so fucking baller dude i love that yeah it's it's so rad uh, japan in general was just like way ahead of the curve on lynch oh um, yeah yeah they, but um for sure i think like the thing about Link's Awakening is that aesthetically and tonally, overall, yes, it is like one of the least horror-infused titles. Um, and it has like a lot of silly shit. Like there's Mario enemies in that game. Right. Um, but I think like thematically, uh, there's a the big rug pull at the end is actually like really melancholy and nightmarish. Yeah. Um, I mean, the windfish in general is like a great old one, basically. But, uh-huh. um, <laughs> but just uh, I think establishing this idea of, um, I mean, it, people talk about it. It was all a dream, being sort of this cop out in in fiction and in storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the case of Link's Awakening, it's like really central to like what the story is about for it to be a dream like it's an actual decision you have to make to like end this world um and i think that's a really almost like a heavy moral burden to put on the player's shoulders right for a game boy game from 1993 like yeah and i also kind of ask them to like consider you know even if this didn't exist or didn't happen like is it still meaningful because I experienced it. I yeah. think those are those are provocative questions to ask like in a game from from that era that isn't directly asking them. Right. And I think that's what kind of slots it into this whole milieu of art that we've been talking about is like it has this super dark component to it. It has this super dark theme that the whole game is building towards and the ending is like super sad and melancholy. Yes. And I think that's an important thing because it's one of the first times that you really get that vibe in a Zelda game. Because I think before it felt a lot more like this like high adventure vibe. So when scary stuff happens or bad stuff happens, you have this feeling or this assumption that like, well, it's all gonna turn out okay. And Link's Awakening is the first time where it's like, oh, it's not actually, and it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> And that's really important to the rest of the series, I think. It's like the first time the player like has to ask themselves, like, am, am I like justified in finishing this game? Right. Like, can I like justify that to myself? Um, I'm like taking, you know, these people that I've grown to love because they're like quirky Twin Peaks, Gilmore Girls, townspeople. Uh-huh. Like, you're just annihilating them. Right. Um, and and that's kind of what I think 
the where the Twin Peaks influence really shines through. Because like instead of doing it like Twin Peaks where it just whips back and forth wildly and unexpectedly, it's more like it escalates. It escalates. It's a slow burn of like, yeah, you meet all these like super quirky, funny, over-the-top characters. There's a lot of character portraits and close-ups, and they all look like fucking Doraemon, like, art style. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and so then, but then at the end, it's like, do you want to murder all your new friends? And it's like, fuck! <laughs> no! <laughs> but also, like, yeah, I guess I have to go home. Like, it's, it's dark, and it ultimately ends up being this really dark and and heavy thing and yeah like when you get to even just the next entry in the series and everything after it that's influenced by it that melancholy is like a huge component of it um and those kind of darker themes are a huge component of it and so i think that's why i'm like part of the reason i'm so attached to link's awakening besides just like i like it like <laughs> i think yeah. that, that theme is is really powerful it is it's tied for my favorite zelda it's my favorite 2d zelda um, yeah that's a better way of putting it. I thought about that the other day where it's like, I think that's just like my favorite 2D Zelda. And then, you know, I can have a favorite 3D Zelda too. I mean, Zelda is yeah. just like my favorite game series. Like Zelda and Resident Evil are like my favorite game series. And anytime there's a new one, it's just like, yes. So, you know, I have, yeah. I have lots of feelings. <laughs> yeah, dude, Zelda and Resident Evil. And then I'd also, from, from my list, throw in like Metroid. Yeah. Um, for sure yeah metroid fucking rocks uh i love metroid and, and you know what if i'm like laid up in bed sick ace attorney too but we don't have to talk about <laughs> that <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah I've, I've dabbled i'm i'm definitely not the the ace attorney um expert but it's good shit i like <laughs> it, it makes you feel smart even <laughs> if you're like fucking dumb like i am Dude, um yeah for sure <laughs> but uh Going back to Link's Awakening and not to sort of like, I guess, linger on the single game too much. Um, I think that it it establishes like the melancholy that we're talking about is important to the Zelda series as a whole. Because I think that Zelda as a series is about sort of that like wistful melancholy of, you know letting go of childhood and growing into an adult. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's about that matur the, the maturation process. And I think Link's Awakening hammers that theme harder than any other, because it is asking you to like make a choice between embracing the responsibility of adulthood and reality or, you know, leaning into escapism forever. And right. I think that's really important. Um, sort of proto uh Hideaki Anno in in that sense right. um or not proto I guess because he he was an animator on Nausicaa the Valley of the Wind yeah wrap it all back around but, for um, sure uh, sort of presages the the Evangelion themes yeah definitely and and it once again it's impressive because it does it in a way that is still lighthearted. it's not intrusive yeah still like appropriate for all ages but hits these really like heavy themes and yeah, it's fucking awesome. I, I think like I connected to a lot of this shit when I was a kid. Cause we moved around a lot and like that horrible feeling of just like leaving all your friends behind in your school and like having to go somewhere mm -hmm. else, I think is something that like links awakening captures really well. And like, you know, spirited away captures really well. Um, yeah. And I like, I think about 
that stuff a lot. And I think that's why I'm kind of like so attached to that shit. Cause it's like, I know that feeling, like I know that so well. And to just see this thing that on the one hand is kind of like a fun piece of relatively lighthearted entertainment also hit those notes is, is just awesome. Like that's always going to be my favorite shit. Yeah, absolutely. So next game in the series, uh, major turning point for video games as a whole for the series. And once again, also for the horror elements. And that is of course, Ocarina of Time. Super Mario 64. Super Mario 64. <laughs> the part where you can just throw that baby off the cliff. Horrifying. <laughs> uh, the, the piano is actually fucking horrifying, dude. The, the whole ghost thing is actually pretty scary. But um, yeah, the baby penguin shit really fucked me up, dog. I'm not going to lie. So Ocarina of Time. Uh, great game. And I'll say they didn't have to go that hard, but they did. And we love it, but they also did not have to go that fucking hard with the melancholy, the dark themes, and the absolutely horrifying bullshit in this game. Uh, yeah, such a fucking scary game. And like once again, I played it when it came out. I was a kid. I mean, I th- the that game came out in 1998. I would have been not even like 10 yet. You know what I mean? So it's like. I was freaked out by some of the shit in this game for sure. And yeah, I think the big thing, you know, there's a lot in this game. There's this game is just packed full of scary shit and weird dark shit. But the big thing was that they took what they did in link to the past and they just dialed it up to 11. So they're like, yes. Oh, shadow world. That was cool. How about you go to the future and you lost and everything is hell. Like, yeah. What? That's crazy, dude. That's so fucked up. People talk about Ocarina of Time sort of like laying this blueprint for all of 3D Zelda, but Ocarina of Time is, you know, building on that Link to the Past blueprint. Um, Definitely. But yeah, all pretty much every aspect of Ocarina of Time is like either depressing or dread-inducing or both. Like. Right. And even just like aesthetically, you know, the polygonal N64 graphics make things like the re-deads really uncomfortable. They make like dead hand super uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and like they didn't have to do that with the sound effects. They didn't have to do that. That shit was fucked up. <laughs> I just want to throw that yeah. out there. They didn't have to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. It asked the question of like, what if you go forward in time and you fucking lost? Yeah. And it also like in order to sort of rectify that, that loss, uh, it asks you to like abandon your own childhood. Yeah. Um, just skip forward and like take this responsibility that shouldn't have to fall on you, but it does because life is fucking unfair. <laughs> yeah which is like another theme that i very much connect with <laughs> right uh, yeah i feel like yeah yeah um yeah you know it's interesting this whole conversation is kind of making me realize that like i guess i went into it thinking about it more as like world building and aesthetics is like why zelda's horror and i think it's actually the themes yes 100 <laughs> percent. i i thought we were going to be talking about the themes the whole time damn all right but... you're smarter than me i, I was like there's a ghost and you're like nah man your childhood's over i'm like shit fuck i never said i wasn't stupid so you know that's what's up 
Uh, Listen, but also, you know, sometimes the fucking curtains are just blue and sometimes it's just scary because there's a ghost. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, like that is so crazy. The Ocarina of Time, like the whole theme of the game is just fucking horrifying. And like, I feel like once again, you know, like, like you said, it's building on other works, not even just Link to the Past, but also like, I mean, Final Fantasy VI famously had like a kind of time jump where you lost and like Chrono Trigger you go into the future and it's like the worst possible future I've ever seen maybe in media. Like, (laughs) holy shit. But like in this game, it's so interesting because it's so dark and fucked up. It's like, everything's a zombie. The world is falling apart. The music's scary. The temples you go to, like the dungeons are horrifying. Um, It's a fucking dark souls level. Yeah. Like, (laughs) well, that's the other big thing here is like Zelda invented dark souls. I mean, uh-huh. There's no getting around that. And especially like playing Demon Souls, which I did recently. And like you can see like how Zelda influenced Demon Souls is. And you can see like how much of that influence they took. But yeah, like a big thing is folding in that theme of like there being this kind of like dark future and like, you know, losing being a part of the narrative. Like a lot of people in FromSoft, they in the context of FromSoft, I should say, they attribute that to Berserk, which is like fine, but it's also like you can't ignore Zelda. You can't ignore Ocarina of Time. The developers have probably talked about Zelda at great length, I feel like. For sure. Um, and, you know, Shadow of the Colossus also is like, Fumito Ueda is very open about Zelda being a huge influence on on all three of his games. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, uh all these games that sort of embrace this idea of what if you lost and how do you exist in a, in a world that is no longer like for you. Um, I think that Zelda, especially Ocarina of Time is like a huge, like forerunner of games that ask that question. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also like such a great example of, a rug pull or just like a crazy turn where like yes you play the whole first big chunk of the game it feels like a complete adventure in its own regard and then Mm -hmm. you get to that time jump and it's suddenly like oh my god not only is the game so much longer than i thought it's so much more fucked up (laughs) and like now there's this weird existential question of like yeah like what is time what happens when I'm going back and forth between being an adult and a kid and like what happens to link at the end? Cause at the end, I mean, the story resolves with you going back to being a kid, but it's like, he remembers like, yeah. Can you reclaim that? You, <laughs> yeah. you can't not necessarily, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's all sorts of like theories or whatever about like what, Majora's Mask like the direct sequel means um but I I do think that that is a game sort of predicated upon this child that is traumatized um, yeah mo- like moving on to another uh adventure that I guess is like you know symbolically about grief and processing trauma Right. Yeah. And and it's it's so fascinating once again to see that within this context and to see like what they did there. Um and I think it's a shame that people don't really talk about it like that. Like 
even when I was kind of researching and, and trying to like, you know, come up with things from the games, it seems like a lot of the stuff that people talk about with the horror in these games is so surface level. But it's like yeah, it's aesthetic or like mechanical. Yeah. Like and I the mechanics do play a huge part in the horror of Majora's Mask for sure. Like, but we'll get to that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like even in Okery of Time, where it's like, yeah, you go to scary places. Like the the Shadow Temple, that shit is really scary. And like the Reeds are like the scariest shit ever. But like Yes. Uh and the Water Temple is scary because it's so hard and you just want it to be over. Um but like <laughs> yeah, there's just Well, it's it disempowers you. Yeah. You know, it's just fucking Resident Evil cuz you you're dealing with shitty fucking controls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, th- I think it's like 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 I said earlier, the thing that always stood out to me about the horror in Zelda games was like the worlds and the world building and like taking you to a destroyed hopeless shattered world but i think that within ocarina of time there's just such a deeper darker existential element to it um yeah that really like hits home in a lot of ways and to hit on the redeads i i think like the first time that you like encounter the redeads is so unexpected Mm -hmm. um and makes you feel like you know the nighttime is not safe um and like and that's like really early on in the game so you kind of like have this feeling of like there are times where i'm just not going to be safe no matter what right unless i'm like in like a pre-existing safe area and like i mean even then not necessarily but yeah it's also was it also like one of like the first 3D games to like have that open world light and day mechanic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's it's super influential in that regard as well. But I mean, there's so many like good things you can say about Ocarina of Time. And I think that the reason that it still is as impressive as it is, is not because like it was so innovative. It's because like those themes still resonate. Yeah. Like that's that's the reason that like it has it has aged as well as it has. Uh, people sometimes will talk shit about it or like say that the 3DS remake is better. Um but the 3DS remake isn't better. It's the same fucking game. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, and I think like you you it ties into something important here which is that like the thing that all Zelda games are good at is creating a sense of adventure. That's the thing that they're mm-hmm. best at and that's why People love them so much. That's why I love them so much. That's why people get so invested in them. They create this like wonderful sense of adventure. And I think that part of that is the unexpected horror and the unexpected dark themes. It's because like in an adventure, one that really draws you in, that's really engrossing, you need conflict. You need darkness. You need unexpected things to happen. And so I think that like, it's not just that Zelda is full of, horror elements it's like the horror elements are central to what makes a zelda game a zelda game and what makes yes it a good game i think that's why i've been so like hung up on like zelda games being like horror adjacent or being horror games because it's like you don't get a, a great zelda game you don't get that feeling without those horror elements yes i 100 agree I also 100% feel the same way about metroid that like loneliness and dread mm-hmm. and isolation is like inextricable um but yeah it's that like that the unexpected horror and the dark themes um 
and that sense of like horror permeating what is also you know like it does the horror doesn't take away from the whimsy and adventure Mm -hmm. like it doesn't minimize it or make it feel like oh this game is like tricking you or like subverting things it's just kind of fully exploring um what that adventure would feel like and i guess you know it's it's like life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we were talking about it in in the last episode or one of the last, maybe it was the last Patreon episode, where it's like sometimes having that little bit of like real world like stress or tension or horror or something like elevates something or yeah. makes it stick in your mind because you remember you know, that happening. And I think that's definitely a part of the horror elements in Zelda, and especially in Ocarina of Time, because yeah, like they're so unexpected and they're so shocking. I mean, there's jump scares, there's scary enemies, like there's all this stuff. And it's wrapped up in this world that is aesthetically very dark and very horrifying. And like, you remember those things because the overarching, you know, aesthetic presentation theme, whatever, isn't necessarily like explicitly like dark horror, whatever. It's just like, I'm on an adventure, but those things make it memorable and make it what it is. Yeah. Yeah. What's that fucking quote from the new Hellraiser? That's like just one note forever. That's not music. Yeah. (laughs) Which side note, new Hellraiser rocked. Um, Oh, I liked it. I, 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 our friend Chelsea had us watch it for their birthday and it like fucking rocked. I was like really impressed. I don't get all these people hating it. I thought it was really good. And and like, I like wandered online and it's like, Jesus Christ, what is wrong with you guys? Chill the fuck out. It's a movie. Holy shit. People fucking, I, it'll, I think it's, it's a steam will grow with time because evil dead, the evil dead 2013 movie also was like, People fucking hated that when it came out. I thought it rocked. Now everyone thinks it rocks. Yeah. So. Yeah. I didn't even watch it when it came out. I was like, ah, why'd they make this? And then like years later, I was like, okay, this rocks actually. <laughs> uh, but yeah, new Hellraiser. Good. Um, so, you know, talking about Ocarina of Time, the next logical step in every sense is talking about Majora's Mask. Because. Yeah. Majora's Mask is the horror game in the series. It's like they just made a horror game. Um, And it really takes all that stuff we were talking about with Ocarina of Time and it just runs with it as hard as they possibly can. Um, Majora's Mask is so much like Dark Souls 2 that it's like shocking. Um, or like in the sense that like and it's been so influential like not just on FromSoft games which I think it has for sure like the intro is the same as like Bloodborne and Dark Souls 2 and it's been so influential on internet horror like it spawned that whole Ben Drowned Ben Drowned yep and like Ben Drowned is kind of like the wellspring of online horror in my opinion like everything they did in that series from like the kind of fake communication tone to actually starting a blog that's meant to be real to adding an ARG component to it flaming out and kind of sucking at the end like this is all like very important <laughs> to like yeah. creepypastas internet horror you know YouTube Reddit horror whatever um, yeah fucking Ted the Caber walked so Ben Drown could run oh for sure uh, 
<laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it all traces back to Majora's Mask, and Majora's Mask is a game that, once again, like everything we've been talking about, your character winds up in this very strange, dark world that's on the brink of collapse. They sort of, except it's the whole game now. Yes, is the dark world. Yeah. yeah, they wander into it in the beginning, and you're submerged in it the whole time. So like, there are constant weird, creepy things happening. The whole world is built around terrifying ideas. The moon is falling from the sky and it has like a really terrifying face on it. Like, what the fuck, guys? Once again, they didn't have to go that hard. They really didn't. Um, (laughs) The world is fucking called Termina. The whole game is about like fear of inevitable death. Right. Exactly. And like, there's so many interesting bits and pieces here that they change from like major or from uh, Ocarina of Time and all the games that kind of led up to Ocarina of Time. Like, I think two major changes that really hit for me like right away the first time I played it. Number one, the music. Um, the sound design is fucked in this game, and just like that basic choice to have the the main like safe area in the game, which is the town. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the music slowly gets this underlayer of like a totally different fucked up song that plays like under the cheery villager music. Yeah, yeah, dude. That's it's like, like the atonal and really like fucking. It's like the soundtrack to Eraserhead. Yes, <laughs> that is the most unnerving thing I've ever encountered in a video game. I will say that, like. I, like, I will hold myself to that and people can DM me and try and call me on that or whatever, but I'll stick by that. Like, that's the most unnerving thing I've ever encountered in a video game. But the other thing is that, like, the people in this world are not nice and they don't like you. And yeah, that's actually two things about that. That's maybe the most fucked up thing about this game is like you wander into this fantasy world and you're like, Okay, so things aren't going well. And then you talk to people and they're like, yeah, things aren't going well. Loser, fuck you. (laughs) And it's like, wow, that is a crazy choice. But also, once again, like, we don't get Dark Souls without that. Like, we don't get Dark Souls without this wild choice to make NPCs mean. And it's such a cool thing. I love it. They're so antagonistic in this game and... Also, like, your entire goal is to help them. Yes. Like, against their will. Yeah. Um, And it's especially, like, a shock to the system after, like, the previous Zelda games where, like, the whole thing is you building a community. Right. um, And connecting with, like, these other people on your adventure. Um, I mean, I could talk about, like the different like monster tribes that you meet in in Ocarina of Time and sort of like (laughs) bridging cultural gaps. And then they turn that in Majora's Mask into like this awful like body horror transformation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's just like a really pessimistic, sad game. Um, And it's really stressful. It's a stressful game to play. Like, the first time I played it, I had a really hard time, like, getting a grip on, like, the time rewind mechanics. Um, And the time rewind mechanics in and of itself is, like, it's a whole other fucking existential nightmare, kind of like what you were talking about with the the going back and forth in time in Ocarina. I think it's, like, escalated in Majora's Mask. um, For sure. Because you have just, like, the 
like the ever-present threat of death is just never going to go away. Right. Um, and it forces you to like <laughs> learn better time management skills, loser. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and there is this really punishing, almost like roguelike feel to the game, yeah. which is, you know, kind of famously what the FromSoft stuff built upon. Like in my eyes, I think the Soulsborne games are just like a way to make roguelike games accessible to a mass audience who just like doesn't care about that shit. Uh, and like right. Majora's Mask kind of did it first, I think, where like taking that kind of roguelike dungeon crawler thing and building a whole game around it and finding a way to still continue progress but like yeah the, the first time you pick up that game the first time you have to rewind time it's like shocking i remember being a kid and being like how the fuck do you beat this game like yeah and and then yeah you like figure it out. the first time the first time like the world ends you're like oh shit i guess i like lost yeah but like the end of the world is like by design in this game yeah like, the apocalypse is a mechanic that's which i think is super interesting insane fucking insane like yeah i just whenever you like sit down and you think about majora's mask it's like unbelievable that this was the game they made and that so many people yes. love it like i obviously like i'm the kind of freak sicko who's like yes but like yeah how is this so popular and beloved i mean it's amazing that it is but like it truly is just like a weird fucked up horror game and it's aesthetically a horror game it's thematically a horror game like the whole vibe of it is just so off and i love also how it plays with the series history like obviously it looks so much like ocarina of time that all of this is extremely jarring but mm -hmm. it's also just in premise it's so much like link's awakening but instead of mm -hmm. the world of link's awakening where you just want to stay and you're sad to leave this one you're like desperate to get out and you can't because it just keeps repeating like Groundhog Day over and over yeah. again. Death is not exactly. a release. Um, something that helps with Majora's Mask's like long-term appeal is that it feels like a real-world like cursed childhood object. Like going back to it and playing Majora's Mask like actually does feel like Ben Drowned sometimes. Um, it's like it's like a feeling that's like really hard to like create organically. Yeah, definitely, and I and I mean. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that's what's so interesting about the Ben Drown thing, which, like, if people don't know, it's just, like, an old internet horror thing. It's, like, a proto-creepypasta. You can go look it up. Um, what was so interesting about it to me is that it was literally just repurposing things from the game that are in the game wholesale, right? Yeah. Like, there are yeah. other examples of this where people did, like, fake video game creepypastas, and they're, like, you know, in the real game, you collect coins, but in this cursed version, you collect bloody heads, you know? And it's like, <laughs> this wasn't like that. This was literally just shit in the game. Like the happy mask salesman is fucking horrifying. Like the little statue yeah. version of yourself is fucking creepy. Like all of this shit is just in the game. And this person was like, Oh, let me just, let me just reframe it, change the lighting so you can see how creepy it is. But yeah, the game itself is cursed already. <laughs> it came out like that. Yeah, you've met with a terrible fate, haven't you? Is like still just like just like a fucking ominous thing to hear no matter what. Yeah, for sure. I love all the weird, creepy shit in this game. Um, and I think I love how it's all just... What, what I think is so great about the horror elements of Zelda games, especially in this game, which is just explicitly like a horror game, 
um, is that it looks at a fantasy world and it looks at all the stuff that in any other work, even one that's not as horror focused, you could see like, yeah, that's pretty creepy. And then it just fully presents mm-hmm. it as like creepy, scary horror shit. And I think that's like why these elements hit so hard and why they stand out in your mind because it's like, oh yeah, this shit is really fucking weird and creepy. <laughs> Absolutely. And like the closest thing I can think of to like a bend round sort of thing that came before bend round were like, it takes aspects of a horror of like it takes aspects of a game that were already horrifying and just amplifies them is like all the rumors about those early Pokemon games. Yeah. Because those early Pokemon games do have just like this really weird eerie feeling to them a lot of the time. Um, but even so they don't have, uh, I mean like the black and white graphics in particular have sort of this like, unnerving keel to them but not to the level that the those early plagues have on on majora's mask and majora's mask is like the game where i i will say that the 3ds roommate kind of decreases the effectiveness of those graphics oh Um, really they made it a little bit too they made it they made it a little bit too bright and a little bit too clean whereas like kind of like the muddy ugliness of the original N64 graphics sort of amplifies the feeling of it. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's all part of like the vibe and the aesthetic and like, yeah, I mean, just thinking about once again, going back to intros, like the intros in these games being important. I mean, the intro of Majora's Mm -hmm. Mask just sets the tone perfectly. It's uncanny. It's weird. It's creepy. It's dark and muddy. You know, yeah, there's that body horror transformation you're stuck underground. Everything's just black and brown. Like, those are important. Like all those elements are important to the game's vibe, the game's aesthetic and like how it's perceived. And the rest of the game just continues apace. Things just get more and more fucked up as the game goes on. And that's like almost to the point where it kind of drowns out those more traditional, uh, I guess pun intended, kind of drowns out um, the more traditional like fantasy elements where it's like, yes, you are on a fantasy adventure. You meet you know, weird creatures and charming people and blah, 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 kind of. But it's like the the vibe is just so dark and so horrifying. Yeah. In this game, like all the charming creatures are like ugly and they all hate you. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> fucking the guy who you have to talk to constantly to like get your shit back has just like this Joker-esque rictus smile. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really insane. Um, yeah, and like I said, to me, it just is full on a horror game, and I think it's one of the best horror games ever. Like, yeah, it's just and I think so good. I think that take has become like more and more accepted over time. Um, I used to see people sort of like saying, "Well, yeah, it's creepy, but like it's not like a horror game, right?" Um, and then recently, there was like a Paste magazine sort of listicle that was like. Oh yeah, I'm gonna put Majora's Mask like in between fucking Outlast and like Alien Isolation because it's a horror game, full on. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, like, yeah, I, I think you know, since I started the show, I've been kind of pushing my definition of horror, which is just kind of like it is what it is. Like <laughs> when you see something that's horror, it doesn't really matter what the work is, what the genre it's generally classified in, or what people think. It's like <laughs> 
if it's, I know it when I see exactly, it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, the legal definition of pornography, according to those famous obscenity trials, you know, it when you see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, yeah. And, and I think that Majora's Mask is like a prime candidate for that, where it's just like start to finish. And even like the ending of the game, I mean, like a lot of Zelda games kind of try and resolve on like more of a not positive note, but more of just like a less like horrifying note. Like it's a little bit melancholy. Things are kind of going back to normal. This game doesn't have that at all. This game has like the weirdest, most indeterminate ending out of the whole series. Yeah, like you you end up being able to like go back, but there's like no guarantee that you like actually accomplished your mission. Yeah, or you don't you don't even really know like if you get back. Like it's just like, well, that's over, you know. And oh, yeah, that's that's also true. Sorry. Yeah. It's been it's been a minute. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, crazy. There's no, you know, <laughs> there is no guarantee you went back. Maybe you're dead, who knows. <laughs> the whole thing could just be like a death dream. Like you just don't fucking know and like once again, it's it's like the dark mirror of Link's Awakening. Where it's like, yeah, okay, the dream is ending. You're going back to real world. This one, it's like, I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> like, I guess this game is over. Everything else is up in the air, you know. But yeah, do, does the dream actually end? Like, do dreams end? Yeah, is existence just this forever. Uh, Horrifying existential shit. Um, just more and more of it in these games. We love it. Um, so the last game I want to talk about today, and I know I'm skipping over like a bunch of shit, but I'm a little short on time and obviously we can do a part two if we want to. I want to talk about Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess, since it came out, has been my favorite 3D Zelda. I fucking love it. Uh, I've replayed it a couple times more recently and it's just aged so fucking well. Um, and I also think that a lo- up there with Majora's Mask, Twilight Princess is like the most explicitly horror game in the series. Like Majora's Mask definitely is number one, but to me, Twilight Princess is number two. And it is so much in that like Dark Souls wheelhouse that it's crazy. Replaying it now after playing every like Soulsborne game, it's shocking that it's like, holy shit. Like before they could take all of that stuff from Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and reinvent it as their own thing, Nintendo did it and they did it as a Zelda game and it's called Twilight Princess. And why do so many people hate this game? Because it's so fucking good and I don't get it. Um, So Twilight Princess is the first Zelda game that I ever played. Oh, wow. Um, Because when I was like a kid, um, I think my dad had like a PlayStation um, and he would play like Resident Evil. But I, we like, we did, aside from like Pokemon and Tony Hawk, like, I didn't really care about video games and we didn't like super care about video games as a family. But around the time that Twilight Princess came out, like, we were able to like get our hands on a Wii. Um, I think because the Wii was like really cheap. Um, yeah, for sure. As, as far as like consoles went. Um, and my step-grandma uh, got me Twilight Princess for the Wii, and I had a really hard time getting used to it because it was the Wii version, so it had those shitty fucking motion controls. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> but it was, like, so gothic and striking. And, you know, as, like, 
as like a grade schooler who was like into slasher movies and zombie movies and you know like that it, it was like an aesthetic that like really really appealed to me and um i know people talk about like fucking wolf link being like hot topic like jerk off shit whatever but i don't know i thought it was cool it's <laughs> maybe awesome. it's like anime shit but it's cool no see i um, think it's really cool but continue <laughs> and like so in between like that game and like when i got into video games as a hobby again like a couple of years ago uh twilight princess like really stuck with me and you know i in the interim i've like my feelings about it in retrospect have like warbled i think i did some writing about zelda last year and i was like well, maybe this game doesn't hold up that well but you know what like i'm like so looking forward to playing it again and every time i like watch like videos of it i'm like this looks so fucking good it holds up like really well visually it like looks gorgeous and its themes are so interesting and i really like midna still she's probably like the best companion character um yeah i have nothing but like really strong positive associations with twilight princess yeah no i mean everything you said tracks 100 percent like the visuals the aesthetics the design of the world are incredible it's this like dark gothic destroyed world but it has a really big dose of that 80s dark fantasy vibe so like there's still these it's a beautiful destroyed world. yes exactly beautiful destroyed world that's a perfect way to put it i mean it really like feels of a piece with um shadow of the colossus like that same yeah kind of vibe uh and you know i think that at the time a lot of or you know i don't know this is so hard to talk about there's so much revisionist history because like at the time wind waker had come out and people were pissed because they wanted the realistic adult zelda game and then they didn't get it and then twilight princess came out and people were excited about it but pretty quickly there was some backlash you know people were annoyed with it it wasn't innovative enough and then over time people started to kind of like shit on it for the darker elements like what you're saying people are oh it's like hot topic it's like overwrought it's like mall goth like bullshit like blah blah, blah. but it's like i couldn't disagree more because i think it's horror that's all it is and it's set in a world that is explicitly designed to like house those horror elements like Replaying it now, once again, it's so much like Dark Souls and Dark Souls 2 that it's like fucking mind-blowing, right? So it's like this version of Hyrule that's been defeated by evil. It's in disrepair. It's destroyed. Um, and your character kind of gets sucked into this other world and starts having to participate in this crazy cross-dimensional power struggle. Uh when you're in this other world, it's super dark and weird. Once again, the visuals change, the music changes. It's like crazy electronic music. Everything is like these yeah. really fucked up looking like phantom creatures. And then when you go back into like your world or the quote unquote real world, it's like it's not that, you know, crazy or out of pocket, but it's got this totally different vibe where it's like it's gothic, but it's destroyed and it's crumbling. There's ghosts everywhere. Um, yeah, there's this weird vibe of like the living and the dead are crossing over and commingling. Like, does it get more horror like, than that? Like, what the fuck? You know, you're like collecting tears. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. And like even like the game's story contains tons of really shocking, weird, dark moments that are, you know, just complete horror, 100 percent. There's a lot of really strange, unexpected violence. Uh, The whole thing just has this really dark, bracing, disturbing tone. And once again, to me, it really calls back to that 80s stuff. You know, it makes you think about Conan, makes you think about Berserk, you know, um, and then, you know, in the more modern time, it makes you think of FromSoft. But ultimately, it's still so much a Zelda game. Like, yeah, you get this great companion character. No one has even come close to Midna. And now they've just completely abandoned the whole concept, you know? And her <laughs> Midna's backstory is also, like, really fucking distressing, too. Yeah. That's, like, one of the... One of like the disturbing, like violent things that that you were talking about in the plot. Yeah, it's got like really uncomfortable undertones to it. Yeah, for sure. And even just like once again, the body horror from Majora's Mask is in full effect where like you get transformed. She's been transformed. Everyone's like stuck in these weird in between stages. You and her are like enemies and then eventually kind of like become friendly over time. Like and it's got these great themes like it's it's got this this destroyed world that you're sort of trying to rescue and you're instead of like Ocarina of Time where they're showing you a flash forward where you failed in this game you're just failing as you go along like yes. within the story yeah. of the game you're constantly losing you're constantly just a little too late you're like achieving an objective but in a way that like you didn't want to <laughs> it's it's a really wild game. Like it's when I say it's dark, it's not just like it's grim dark, you know, like, oh, you learn your moves from the guy from Eternal Darkness. It's like, no, like the themes are fucked up. Like the characters are fucked up. Everything is fucked up. It's a crazy game, you know? Yeah. And those themes of failure as a kid, this might be like a completely fucking off the wall comparison, but it felt very Spider-Man to me. Just like yeah. super fucking losery, like just like this inability no matter how hard you try to like really actually like succeed you're always like a little bit too late or you missed just like this little tiny thing and because of that like the world gets like a little bit worse and that's still just like more responsibility you have on your shoulders right no that that's it exactly and you know at the time that that game came out i mean i still really enjoyed like spider-man comics and i think i really felt that like an era of Spider-Man I was really obsessed with was that like early to mid 2000s run when they were just kind of experimenting with having him just get the shit beaten out of him constantly, either like emotionally or literally or whatever. Yeah, that that J. Michael Straczynski yes. run is just like, yeah, it's like so hard on him. Um, and then they end it with fucking One More Day, which we don't need to talk about. But. Yeah, yeah, well, sure. But that like... <laughs> I like yeah. that shit so much that I just stopped reading superhero comics after that. Cause I was like, yeah, this is probably what I want from this. I'm done. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, like, like Twilight Princess has that same vibe and it, and it's hard. To, sometimes it's kind of hard to put into words, right? Cause like the descriptors you have are so limiting. Like it's dark, it's depressing or like these kinds of yeah. things. It doesn't really like get to like, no, like thematically, it's very fucked up in a real world way. And when you're playing the game, you go through this like whole emotional experience and you're in this like dark destroyed world. You're in the bad end 
world. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. followed down the wrong path and that's where the whole game is set. And to me, it's like things like that are just going to be innately horror to me always. Yes, same. You know, and like, because that's that's what horror is like about to me. It's about like confronting those parts of the human condition so that you can sort of gain catharsis and learn how to deal with it happening. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And like, I think that Twilight Princess is so great in that sense because it it really encapsulates all those themes. But it's also like the biggest and most traditional like middle of the road Zelda game in a lot of senses. Like it's not like Majora's Mask where the world is small and the mechanics are weird or it's not like a more recent game like Breath of the Wild where it's like huge and crazy and unexpected. Like it is a big world. It feels a lot like Ocarina of Time. You know, you go around, you do your dungeons, you get your tchotchkes, like blah, blah, blah. But like the world and the theme and the characters and all these different things, like the setting itself are so radically different that they're unexpected and, and kind of shocking. And I really like yeah. the way that those two sides play off of each other and the way that those two elements like contrast each other in a way that I think is really nice. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to make a super out of pocket analogy. OK, here. but so Everyone, I think, like, for a couple years sort of, like, wrote this one off as, like, the Hot Topic emo Zelda game. But I think it's, like, exactly like My Chemical Romance in that it's, like, literally better now, like, <laughs> when you go back to it. Like, it, like the themes are way more mature and honest and, like, authentic to real-world human struggles with you know, big concepts of like death and abuse and um, trauma. And the aesthetic is just like really engaging and striking and gothic in a way that doesn't feel alienating. Like it still feels very accessible and beautiful. Um, yeah. So I, I know that's like maybe like kind of ridiculous uh, as a comparison, but it just like occurred to me and it felt like really... <laughs> really salient. No, I, I don't think that's ridiculous at all. I think that's like a really fucking good analogy. Because, um, yeah, like at the time, My Chemical Romance were written off by especially like serious music people as like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, it's just like a hot topic garbage, like blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there were some of us, like self included, who were like, no, this is good. Like, there's something that makes this good that like some other similar band, like, Chiodos or something like doesn't yes. doesn't have like there's something to this and and it's funny because I remember even as recently as a few years ago like we were on tour and um, our band it was split down the middle you know half of us were like no like MCR is like good actually and then the other half of the band was like <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about and I don't care and it was funny because like <laughs> we were like sort of having this like very low key, not serious, like ideological battle over like MCR. But I 100% agree that it's like the things that make that band good or that made them like, you know, important or that made their music, you know, hold up over time was that like there are deeper themes. There are, you know, there's substance there. And also that they had an, a really good understanding of craft and like 
classic songwriting and production. Yeah. And so like, even if you don't know anything about music, you don't know anything about production, you just like tunes. Like when you put on like a shitty, like Hot Topic, you know, whatever, like that type of emo record from that era. And then you put on like an MCR record. There's something different. You know what I mean? It's a striking difference. Yeah. yeah. The guitars don't sound the same. The drums don't sound the same. Like even these just basic elements, it's like, it's not the same, you know? And like, yeah. I feel like with Twilight Princess, it's similar because like Twilight Princess came out in an era when like there was some real edge lordy shit happening in video games. Yeah, dude, Twilight Princess could have just been like fucking Shadow the Hedgehog. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like, that was such a thing. Um, but then you play Twilight Princess and it's like, no, it comes by all of this honestly. Like the themes mm-hmm. and the world and everything in it is earned. Like the darkness here feels, once again, to use it, the term again, like kind of real world. Like there's something real about these characters like going through shit. They're like... Zelda isn't just like a lost princess or something in this game or even just like kind of a melancholy you know sort of uh, uh, like hazy figure that you can't quite you know put your finger on like in this game she's a tragic figure she's like uh, like a deposed queen in like a rotting castle like there's just something that just hits fucking harder about all of those scenarios in this game that even around that time similar games couldn't nail and and it's only since then that we've gotten stuff that nails that vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the game totally comes by it, honestly. Unashamed, it'll show its scars. Um. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, like, I, I just think that, you know, when you look at all of these games, like, there's so much here for horror fans to chew on. Like, there, there's so much here that just makes up like some of the best experiences you can have with like dark fantasy with horror in video games with video games yeah like it's just like overwhelming to me and it's kind of crazy that like the conversation still doesn't really feel like comprehensive about like these games when it comes to the horror elements yeah i you could like write a fucking like at least an essay about it yeah if not like a full-on book you could definitely write a book about it i i feel and and it's interesting because like i think it's almost in a way i was thinking about this the other day in a way it's almost good that people write these games off as horror because like whenever a new one comes out there's like new like news articles or tweets or whatever that's like i crapped my pants while playing tears of the kingdom and it's like i didn't expect there to be a hand monster that turns the world to hell and it's like you didn't (laughs) like you haven't been paying attention have you played a zelda game (laughs) yeah so like in a way it's like good because it it like you know keeps the effectiveness of those elements but it also just bugs me as someone who's like my favorite shit is all horror and also my favorite game series is zelda and it's just like yeah just admit that they're horror games they're horror (laughs) just say it yeah and i would really like a fucking book about this shit that isn't like dry essayistic like ludic conventions in horror video games like well maybe that's our next project (laughs) oh boy (laughs) (laughs) the first zero brightness book it's zelda (laughs) 